Well, where did the podcast go? Been a little busy, folks. Apologies about that. Here is another episode of Unprofessional, sponsored by Bodyboard King. Huge thanks to them for the ongoing support. This one features the legendary Stuart Knox, uh, sommelier. You'll learn about what that means if you don't know already in the podcast. Absolute frother on the boog and all-around top guy. Enjoy this podcast. We talk about his work in the wine industry and also his passion for the boogie around the Maroubra zone. Enjoy, folks. All right. Uh, I am sitting in my vehicle on the side of the road with great 4G reception now to get back on with another episode of the Unprofessional Series with a very fine gentleman drinking a fine wine. His name is Stuart Knox. Welcome to the podcast, Stuart. Hey, Josh. How are you, mate? Good to be with you. I'm great. I'm great. This is our second shot at trying to record this. I um, I tried to do it from a campsite and the uh, the 3G just invaded my data and the 4G just left the building. So <laughs> I've um, I've packed up. I've moved. I've got my bottle of wine with me because we're going to do a wine tasting in this episode. And um, I'm on the side of the road. There was a police car driving past a second ago, so I probably can't get as sloshed as I thought I could for this episode. But um, we'll just have to be civilized. Um, but I'm good now that I'm sitting here with you, mate. Excellent, excellent. Well, let's let's just say that we'll we'll get. I'm sure we'll get this one up and running. You're already far clearer so far. I think, this is, so far. This, I is think this is the one. Yeah. Um. Look, we we in our first intro, which nobody got to hear, but I was asking you. You went for a surf the Savo. Like, tell tell us a little bit about it. What was it like? Yeah. Oh, look, it was um, pretty grovelly. One two foot. Um, sort of just wind swell down at Maroubra. 150 mm. people in the water, 149 of them uh, stand-ups and just one solo boogie, which was me. But, uh, look, the water's incredibly warm over here on the East Coast at the moment, so it's about 25 degrees. So, you know what, I won't complain too much. There's plenty to complain about, though, in your industry, right? Like, I mean, and this is what this podcast is all about, kind of diving into the lives of, of your, I hope it's not an insult, but your everyday bodyboarder, the people who are doing it and loving it and, I want to learn and maybe it's great for the audience to learn a bit about some other cool stuff that bodyboarders do. And um, you yourself, you've you've got a um, a wine bar in the city amongst other things, I guess. Like is that your main game, this wine game? Yeah, wine is wine is what pays my bills. Um, mm. I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I get to – I do get to bodyboard and I love it, but I also get to um, pay most of my bills in something I love as well. So, uh, yeah, I've been in the wine – wine game in one way shape or form for 30 odd years now um been a started as a casual waiter when i was going to uni and i failed uni dismally so that that made the casual waiter more of a full-time role and um (laughs) spent more time drinking and really enjoying wine and then got a got a chance to become a sommelier at a restaurant in london and yeah just carried on from there so yeah now i own um Fixed wine bar in the city of Sydney in the CBD. We've been there for we've just turned fifteen um, late last year. So yeah, that's like in restaurant years like dog years. So it's quite a while. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, just to just tell us a bit what what does a sommelier do? What is this um this word and What's, what does it actually a, mean? It's a very fancy word, um, a French word. Um, mm-hmm. It originated 
a long time ago and roughly translated to the Keeper of the Donkeys. Uh, oh, okay. Which is basically, uh, the sommelier, the term came around from the people that looked after the the stores in the uh, the the uh, nobles' houses. So whilst right. it wasn't just donkeys, it was the sellers and all of those things. So that's where it starts. But basically nowadays a sommelier is a person that will be working on the floor of a restaurant, um, buying the wines for the wine list and then coming to chat to you about what wine you might like to drink with your meal, sir. Yeah, right. That's a, a really cool um, little history lesson there. I didn't realise. I knew the word was French, but I didn't realise it was about the um, sommelier, this keeper of the donkeys or the, or the stores. That's, um, yeah. that's quite interesting. Quite a turn of events, really, to go from there to the to such a kind of high society thing. In many cases, exactly, exactly right. It was uh, one of those things. And look, as as the French can do, they have they took the idea of being a sommelier and uh, quite highbrow and really turned it into an art form. <laughs> and and can, on this art on this art form, I mean, you've been practicing it now for fifteen years. Oh, longer actually. You've had your own business yeah. for fifteen years, I should um, say. But and I mean, look, I I haven't had the good fortune to swing by yet. I know that a a couple of our boogie brethren have been able to be in there for a for a sampling, and um and you know my cousin's actually a bit of a regular at your place yes. as well. My cousin Inga, so that's pretty she cool to be able to connect yeah. the dots there. Yeah, she loves a wine, um, and that's all we do when we catch up is drink wine. So, but like what. What is it that a sommelier is kind of looking for? Like, and, and I've got a glass in my hand. Or actually, I won't tell you what it's made of. It's not made of glass, actually, because it's, right. it's a camping. It's a camping glass. Um, camping glass. That's all right. Uh, plastic. But I do have a bottle of red with me. And we're going to, as part of this podcast episode, we're going to, you know, you're going to talk me through a bit of a wine tasting here. So do you want to take the... Sure. You want to take over the show now for a little bit and oh, um, tell it. the viewer okay. what we're looking at. What am I holding in my hand? And, okay. Um, well, and what are we going to do next? I suppose going back to what a sommelier does. A sommelier mm. tastes a lot of wine and drinks a lot mm. of wine too. Generally, as a rule, so our our half of our job is tasting a lot of wines, putting together a list of wines that suit the restaurant, is going to suit the clientele that's coming through, and so on and so forth. So mm. it's not just about what you like; it's what your customers are going to like too. So that's that's the main, the first stage. And then the second stage is getting to a table and you've got to have a brief conversation and not, and it's, it can, it does have to be sort of quite brief. Ask a few questions, get a feel for what they feel like and what they're having for dinner or snacks or whatever the case may be. And then offering up a recommendation. Uh, doesn't always work, of course, but uh, <laughs> we've, we've got a, we've got a couple of things, a couple of rules fixed is that. Life's too short to drink shit booze. So uh-huh. if you don't like it, please let us know early and we'll take it away and give you something different. If you tell me the wine's shit by the time we finish the end of the bottle, well, I'm sorry, that one, that ship has sailed. Yeah. But tonight we're, um, we're drinking a little uh, Margaret River Cabernet. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, Cabernet Sauvignon is from the Bordeaux region of France traditionally. Um mm-hmm. It is probably the most famous red variety that's coming out of Margaret River. Um, they make Chardonnay and they make Cabernet. They're the two big, big things there. Uh, and this is from a winery called Stella Bella, uh, which has been around for quite a while, and they've really started to ramp up their um, high-end stuff. They've, they did some pretty cool labels, the Suck Fizzle and things like that, had a Monty Python-esque sort of style to their labelling. And they started in that sort of what I would call that fun zone of people that weren't taking it wine too seriously but 
look, let's face it, we go to the bottle shop and we we buy wine because we like how it looks and so on and so mm. forth. We can't taste it most of the time in that way. So they did really well in that, and then they've just matured and then added layers up to this. So this is the uh, Luminosa 2018 uh, Cab Sav. Um, this is their super premium reserve one. Um, mm. On... A, a little a little side note or a little uh, side hustle I've got as well as I also write about wine for a website called The Real Review. And uh-huh. so that's where I came across this one. Uh, so I do, I do a lot of tasting for the restaurant. I judge wines for wine shows um, and I write for this website called The Real Review, which is um, a subscription-based one. And I also do some writing, wine writing for Selected Magazine and Gourmet Traveller Wine as well. So... Look at I, you go. I, yes. You go. With all my spare time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thirsty, Stuart. What do we do next? So, I've got so it open. I've opened it already for you. Okay. I've opened so it, like you said. Pour it, pour it into your plastic cup. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what you want to do, we don't have video, so this is, this is quite interesting. So what you've got to do yeah. is swirl the glass. You want to swirl the wine around in the glass without it coming out. Okay. The top, which, which. Mm depending on the glass you've got, is easier or harder. Okay, um, swirling, swirling. I'm in a car, by the swirling. way. I'm literally the driver's yeah. seat of my car. I've got, a, I've got the, the red will, under one arm. <laughs> <laughs> the police are going to be thrilled to watch you doing a wine tasting in the driver's seat. I know. I know. Okay. Right, and then, I've swirled it. As soon as you stop swirling it, stick your nose in and have a big sniff. <sighs> and and I can you can tell me anything you smell, but... I, I sort of see sort of um, black currants, blackberries. There's a sort of uh, mm. cigar, cigar sort of cigar box, sort of almost a tobacco leaf character there as well. Mm. So that's I've definitely the got the that, blackberries. I got the blackberries. I yeah, can give you that cool. much. That's cigar right. box. I haven't sniffed a cigar box in a while now, so I don't okay, know well, if I can smell that. You know, you're just going to have to trust me on that one. Okay, um, I'll trust you. And there's also mm. like a, a leafy, almost almost a minty smell to it. Mm. But the beauty mm. of the beauty of wine is that no one's ever wrong with whatever they smell. And that's the that's the perfect, <laughs> perfect thing. It is a hundred percent subjective. So mm. basically, what I'd really do is both mostly all bullshit. But that's all yeah, right. Yeah, fine. It's, it's professional well, bullshitting. It's, well, hey, I, I got a podcast, so you know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so next um, next thing, because mm-hmm. well, yeah, obviously you really actually want to drink here, not just sniff the thing. And so, yeah, give it, give it, get a mouthful, and then slush it all around in your mouth. You'll, you'll hear this will be beautiful mm-hmm. podcast sounds. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, the AirPods really translated that into my ears very nicely, Josh. Did it? Yeah, Ooh, I did well. was I meant to swallow it? Because I just did. Yes, you were absolutely. Okay, great. This okay. Is, when I when I'm tasting professionally, I do have to spit out because. At a wine show, I'll do mm. 150 wines in one day. So if I swallow every mouthful, then yeah. it comes to an end very quickly. Yeah. And really, when you when you when you put it in your mouth, you're sort of there thinking about, from a professional point of view, am I? Is it feel? Does it feel balanced? Does it feel soft? Or does it feel rugged? All of those different mm. things, and they're all they're all. There's lots of different quality markers, but look, if you're judging wine, you treat the glass. And how it goes through your palate, your mouth, mm. like a, a good, like about a good bowler at cricket. It's about line and length. So does it <laughs> remain focused? 
And does it go all the way yeah. back? And can you taste it for a long time? And this mm. one, I think you'll find you can taste for quite a long time. Yeah, well, I swooshed it around so much. It's bloody everywhere yeah. in my mouth, that's for sure. Yeah. Like I've, I think my teeth are tasting it. And that's the thing is that you're there going, yeah, I swooshed it and it stayed and stayed and stayed. But if this had been a shit wine, even after the shushing, it mm. would have just disappeared and the flavour's gone. Right. So that's, that's as, as layman's term, the longer that flavour stays there, probably the better the wine is, unless it's a okay. terrible flavour. I, um, I am thoroughly enjoying it and I just I realised, as you said, it's just like a cricket, you know, like it's about, what is it, le- length and line? Line or and length, yeah. Line length, line and I was like, there go, there go all the international listeners. <laughs> They're out. <laughs> <laughs> well, particularly the English at uh, the moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ah, ha, ha. Um, <laughs> no, but that's um, cricket, cricket analogies aren't really going to work well for the sure. US, but that's fine. Yeah. I'm sure they get it. Um, this wine game, you know, like, it's massive. I mean, as as you're saying, like, like how many, like I'm about to head down to Margaret River as an example. Like, yeah, how many different wine, how many vineyards are there down there now? Like, how how many oh, are we talking? I'd say there's probably about there'll be probably about a hundred individual wineries. There'd be three. There'd be four or five hundred vineyards because a lot of there's a lot of people that just grow grapes and don't make their own wine. Uh-huh. And then there'd be another couple of hundred of people that are coming in and buying grapes to make a Margaret River wine, but they don't actually have a winery in Margaret River. Right. So, yeah, the numbers around wine are insane, basically. There's just, mm. there's so much, there's so much booze produced uh, across the world. Um, mm. I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I think in Australia at the moment, there's, Across Australia, there's about three and a half thousand different wineries, and each one of those produces at least five or six wines. So there's fifteen to twenty thousand wines being produced in Australia every year, and some of those are in limited runs of two, three, four, five hundred bottles, and some of those are in thousands and thousands of bottles. So yeah, it's a big business. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal, isn't it? And I mean, with the whole trend in wine, like. It, is it still relatively recent in the Australian cultural context that wine is like this thing to be appreciated? We're a bit of a beer drinking country by, by kind of Absolutely. our history, right? Yeah. Mm. Look, we've we've basically we we've had grapes growing in Australia for basically since we've since the first white people arrived, not long after. But the realistic realistic in the sort of late eighteen hundreds. We had a lot of vineyards planted because everyone drank sweet wine and we made ports, sherries and things like that. Uh, and then that was that was basically what was drunk and sweet wine was pretty much what was drunk all the way through to the, the 70s. No, no, there wow. was none of this dry, dry, dry wine stuff. It, was, it wasn't until the mid-70s that dry wine came out and Australia crashed and burnt for a bit there and then sort of in the late 60s, early 70s, we sort of ripped a lot of vineyards out and, it all went sort of south for quite a while, and it wasn't until the mid '80s that we started to come back with uh, a dry table wine. And yeah, we've been we've been going pretty well ever since. We've had our ups and downs, but yeah, and that's but that's it, been yeah. it. Sort of that start from the mid '80s, but it wasn't really like when I when I I went up to Europe, went to the UK in '98, and got back to Sydney in 2001. So 
The difference between when I left in the mid-90s, there might have been five restaurants in the whole of Sydney, i.e. pretty much the whole of Australia, that had a sommelier. And when I got back mm. in 2001, there was would have been 30 sommeliers working in Sydney at that point. Yeah. And that, then what about today? Um, oh, pretty much every restaurant's got a sommelier that's sort of mediocre and above. They're, they're, yeah, they're, right. They're just one of those things. And nowadays as well, the beauty of the wine trade as well as that, they understood that obviously wine's got a sort of crusty, high-class sort of uh, sort of persona around it. But a lot of young winemakers and a lot of young producers are now making more fun wines, What like sort of, then there's the natural wine movement, which is about making wines without additives, which obviously appeals to a, a health market as well there. As, and so there's a lot more cool stuff happening. And sort of a lot of the stigma about it being all stuffy is slowly but surely being shed. It always cracks me yeah. up that people get stuffy about something gets, that gets you drunk. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And speaking of getting drunk, not that we're like telling people it's awesome to get drunk, but I was just, when you said the sweet wines were the first Aussie wines and stuff, I remembered that I believe my first time being drunk was at the Teams Challenge in 1995. Um, I think I was all of, nah, it must have been 96. I was all of I like 13. I was all of 13. I was either in 95 or 96 when Doug Robson was. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there we go. Yes, I was not 13 Uh, then. I was also drunk. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I just remember it was like where where we got drunk on port, and that's a sweet wine, right? Like the fortified wine. exactly, yep. And and it was just the the joke was is that we got drunk at port on port, and that was my first ever drunk moment was at the team's challenge. And, you know, it was great. I I didn't – I didn't make a mess of myself at all. My buddy at the t- who was there with me, still a very dear friend today. He was he was in a bit of strife, but um, no, we we got through the evening, and it was um, it was just funny. The I didn't realize that yeah. sweet wines were the Aussie choice for so long, and um, yeah, ironically yeah. enough, that was my first time getting a bit sloshed. Do you yeah, remember the first a- time you got a bit sloshed? Uh, yeah, what I you were drinking, actually. and yeah, yeah it was, what were you it was it would have been year twelve, and I was um, oh yeah, Frangelico. Funnily enough, all of us, oh, I reckon, pretty nice. much our, our first experience on booze, getting drunk, yeah. was something ridiculously sweet. Yeah. Might have been Kahlua, actually. I think it was Kahlua. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that um, makes sense, though, doesn't it? Like, because yeah. the, the palate just can't handle yeah, exactly. stuff that isn't no, sweet, exactly. lolly-like, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I remember, as, as far back as I can, the old man had the beer fridge in the inner garage and he'd smash a KB Gold and they were the big old steel cans. And wow. I used to always go and steal them because they look so good and refreshing and I'd have a mouthful and go, oh, that tastes like death. Why on earth that? <laughs> How the worm yeah. turns. Yeah, it does, eh? And I, yeah. I, I remember the same kind of experience with a VB, you know, like it's like this mm. rite of passage, I feel like, with Aussie fathers and their sons. is like, you know, you're at the family barbecue and yeah. they're sucking on a VB and, you, and you're like, oh, go and get me another one and then you open it for them on the way back and, you sneak a, you know, oh, can I have a sip? And like, ah, oh, yeah, right, I have a sip. And yeah. then you, you have this sip, and you feel like you're going to become a man in the moment, yeah. and yes. and then it just tastes like shit. And you're yes. like, oh fuck, yeah. I don't know what this guy's <laughs> doing, but he's still enjoying. What the it. hell is going on? Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's thing. actually a funny thing, and you, it's it, it is known of it from a a palate point of view. We as we get older, we prefer more savoury and bitter items. Mm. That's a, that's actually. A scientific thing. 
So there you go. Is that because our taste buds are given up on us and they just need more stimulation? Is that what the the deal is there? Yeah, possibly, possibly. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know the, I don't know the details of the reasoning why. I just do know that. Mm. Yeah. Well, I suppose look, I know there's a lot of science in when we're younger as teenagers, we're looking for craving sweet things because we need the energy because we're mm. growing and carrying on like pork chops. As we get older, I think it's we just have less of a desire for sugar because we don't need it. We're all getting old and fat. Mm. Well, we've got the storage, don't we? We've already stored it exactly. on our torso. Yeah. yeah, that old trick. Got that problem at the moment. Jeez, <laughs> kilos before I compete again. COVID, eh? COVID, just keeping right. you fat. COVID, <laughs> keeping you fat since 2020. <laughs> um, yes, indeed. Uh, another question quickly on this wine before we go back to talking yep. about bodyboarding. Um, what would you pair this with, this Luminosa 2018 Cabernet Sauvignon from Margaret River? What would you be pairing this wine with? Um. I reckon this would be awesome with lamb, like a lamb. like a really like a, a slow roast leg of lamb on the barbecue. Um, yeah, just yeah, get get a whole leg of lamb, bone it out, wrap it up, rub it in sort of lemon and probably lemon and black olives and some shit ton of garlic and all of those things. Oof. Put it on the barbecue hot, and then turn the barbie right down and leave it for like roast it for about half an hour, and then yeah, just serve that with a nice sort of. Like a tabbouleh or a for two salad, something with lots of parsley and stuff like that. Beautiful! Wow, I'm hungry now. Now it's I'm hungry. Here, though. <laughs> yeah, it's six o'clock where I'm sitting, so it is nearly dinner time. So I'm um, okay. yeah, I wonder what's on the menu. Yeah. Um, no. let's so let's enjoy this wine then. Let's enjoy this luminosa. I'm hoping there'll be some lamb at the end of this tunnel. Um, yeah. and let's talk about the the scene around. Maroubra, because is that where you grew up bodyboarding? Is that your kind of scene from back in the day? No, or where's grew, your I, stomping ground? I grew up in Coffs Harbour, so oh, my oh. I was I was up I was up that way. Um, right. So um, a guy back in the day called Warwick Appleton was from, also from Coffs Harbour. Um, I know that won, name. You'd know that name. He um he actually won the Australian mm. title in I think it was eighty six or eighty seven around wow. so mid eighties. And I, I remember being at high school and they announced that he had won the Australian titles, and it, which qualified yeah. him for the pipe contest, but he wasn't 18, so oh, he that. wasn't able to go. Oh, and so, and Warwick, Warwick, um, he had, he rode a Moray Max 77 uh, with a quad fin setup. Quad um, fin? Quad fin, yep. Look out. <laughs> None of this, none of this uh, flat bottom ball <laughs> shit. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he ran a quad fin setup, and I just, wow. Like, we used to surf for high school sport, and so that would have been, I would have been by the time we got to high school sport, it would have been I would have been year nine or ten. So he mm. would have he's a few years older than me, and just seeing the speed that he could get on that boogie with that mm. with that fin set up, yeah, he didn't need to do spins because he just was able to get so much speed. And I think look, I've over the years what I've worked out is that this that's what sets the pros apart from. The uh, the hackers like me is that just that ability to find speed on waves that I just have no idea where they're, where they're coming from. I mm. remember, so I grew up in Coffs, competed a fair bit um, through the late eighties, early nineties. So I was um, uh, my first comp was actually at Foster Main Beach. The uh, no way the regional titles nineteen must have been nineteen ninety because it would have been the end of year twelve, I think. Um, wow. Yeah, Foster Main Beach, and uh, it was. It was about two, three foot in there, and 
I remember just being in the heats in there going, right, la, 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 and then there was a few of us that all paddled out to, um, is it Hayden's off there? I'm giving shush, Stuart, shush, shush. Just edit this one out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but was it breaking? Was it breaking? Yeah, it was, yeah. Amazing, amazing. I know. So you actually it- were at Main Beach and the swell was coming from the right direction yeah. to be able to, A, have a competition on that beach. Yeah, which B, is amazing. The more I learned, it's all, the- <laughs> yeah, that's that unheard of. Never yeah. ever happens. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, was so it the break and I remember wall? being out there. Was the cop at the break wall or up by the pool? Um, it was at the pool end. No way. That's so yeah, it crazy. wasn't even. So it would have been like a right hand, bit of a right hand point break kind of thing. Yeah, no, it was. I can't. Yeah. Uh, now you're pushing my memory too much, but I really only remember that the bombing on the outside because I. Yeah. Got a good one, and Ebo smoked me and just absolutely no burnt way. me, and I had to straight hand it across the rocks. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a bad spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was there going, oh, I don't. and at that point we'd been surfing um, uh, uh, an unnamed uh, break in Coffs Harbour that has recently been cranking on uh, on, on with a cyclone swell. So yeah. I wasn't wasn't too concerned about the shallow water, but uh, yeah. yeah, that that's that's still a memory for me. I owe you that one, Ebo. I'll get you one. That's day. beautiful. Well, he listens to the podcast, so I'll see if he um, hopefully he remembers that moment himself. He yeah. has been lucky enough. Like Hayden's, it's my favorite wave on the planet. It's like it's the one spot I hate missing whenever it breaks because it's so bloody rare. And the fact that yeah. you got to get burnt out there by Epo, I feel like that's actually something to be proud of because well, yeah, being well, able to well. even catch that wave on the right time is near impossible. So it's a very rare, rare beast to to catch. Well, Hayden's. Right and and that's it. Like we've like obviously since that moment because that was so I'd only just got my license in year twelve because I was a year younger than most of my mates. So mm. we we spent a lot of time in a very small car with lots of us going up and down the coast all around. Then and yes, every time we went through Foster, every time after that, I went and stopped there. I went, yeah, nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to find. But, I mean, yep. it, it, it has – Um, but coming back to the scene in yep. Coffs Harbour, you know, like how would you kind of characterise that moment? Because this is the glory days that we like to look at sometimes <laughs> with bodyboarding, that whole late 80s into the 90s. Yeah, oh, look, this is when you're a part of it all. Like what was the buzz, yeah. what was the vibe like back then? Well, that was there was a really small crew there. I remember mm. like we were we were all frothing, of course, you're teenagers and you're frothing on any any sort of breaking wave that you can. And we mm. – there was the Coffs Bodyboard Club, which was set up by um, Justin Turner and Peter Jankowski, got that up and running. And Peter yeah. is, is still a great mate and has been a great mate ever since. Um, he was riding for Manta because Terry Fleming used to have a – I think it was his sister had a holiday house in Sawtell and saw him riding. Oh, so, wow. But it was it was so it was like it was a real buzz. And I, it was Warwick Appleton that put us on to this particular reef break, which remains nameless. But um, – mm. and it's it's, it's – it's about as fickle as, as your place, I reckon, um, because yeah. it, it is it can only break in certain places, and we'd all be we'd all want to ride it, but you'd you'd actually have to obviously we didn't no such thing as a mobile, so you'd have to get on the landline and call your mate <laughs> and hope that he's home and hope that his mum's okay to drive her him into the into town, and you're <laughs> hoping to try and get a lift into town, all to try and coordinate tides and things like that. Um, but yeah, we we just frothed on it, and then we just once we got our license and we were able to drive up and down, it was awesome. Back like we were, we were uh, older than Dion Myers and Scotty Mason and those guys, but 
So I remember being at it, nor at this particular reef. I almost said it out loud, but it stopped. Yeah, you, um, you stopped. With, with um, back in the day when Scotty was just a grom, so he would have been like I don't know, ten or twelve, and sitting on the shoulder watch it with with us. It didn't take him long to work out that he could get right on the inside as well. But yeah, so it's pretty cool to see know those guys as groms and seeing where they what where they got to in that sort of that whole world tour and where they where they sat as well obviously the debate about the ars still sticks with scotty and epo that that is a debate isn't it i've, I've this one like is old it's an old debate isn't it that technically yeah. like scott what what let's let's go through it though because you know like i feel like that's pretty fun like so what's this yeah. debate all about tell us a story well the, this is just like i was i moved to sydney by this point so i wasn't around in golf at that time but look the short version is is that the the the, the Claim in Coffs Harbour anyway is that Scotty had pulled these a couple of times before, um, mm. but Epo was the first one to get one on film. So, right. But who knows? Who knows? But it's like mm. it's always good to stir these ones up, just because. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And maybe this is um maybe this is a good one for Dan Dobb to grab for in foamed and really reignite yeah, with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> With his um, journalistic approach. Indeed. I, I, I'm sure I'll get a message from Dan as soon as this comes out saying, Stu, let's, let's, I want you to write this one. Yeah, it could be quite fun, beautiful. actually. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, you're, so, you're pretty, you're pretty um, big in the VBC scene, you know, like you're a pretty regular contributor to the platform or to the Facebook kind of group yeah. there. And, you know, like it's it's an interesting space and, I mean, a lot of the people on there are people who have kind of left bodyboarding for a bit and come back in. Do you fit that same kind of Abs- description? Absolutely. So, look, we're okay. talking about me and Coffs, and I moved to Sydney in go to uni in 91 and so on and so forth. But by the time, I think, when was the Ballina National Titles? Was that 94? 94? Oh, was that the one that Epo won? Or? Yeah, yeah the, when it was the swell was actually on and, it went eight yeah. shit in the. I uh, got a feeling like it's. I got a feeling like it's either ninety four or because Epo's world title was ninety three though. So I feel like oh, I can't remember been, who I interviewed. Ben Holland or Epo? Yeah, because yeah. one of them. I think Ben Holland won one national title oh. once, and I might have been that one. That, yeah, I don't was know. Really young I, at the time. Because I can't really remember the – because I remember I was competing in the men's at that point and I actually had a good run. I made it to the semifinals in the men's. Oh, and, um, look out. Yeah, that, was, that, was, that, was my, <laughs> that was my crowning achievement. Thank you very much. That's I, a good <laughs> achievement, though, in that day, to be fair. Like, I mean, yeah, that's, um, that's like fifth or seventh at the Nationals in the heyday. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's yeah, pretty so, big yeah, it was Tim Jones knocked me out, actually. So, yeah, oh, so Tim yeah. was in my, my semi. Um, I can't remember who else was, but I know I know that uh, Terry Fleming at Manta was absolutely frothing because in the men's semis, out of the eight of us, five of us were riding for Manta, so he was yeah. there going, "Ah, oh, this is great, perfect." Ah, oh, bless him. Yeah, indeed. That's, so that's yeah, whenever that was. So, but I reckon that was that was probably I did the next nationals after that, which I think was at D Bar, and I just mm, I, at that, that point that I'd sounds lost. right. I'd lost my my enth- the froth had faded. Well, I was working and I was getting into restaurants and I was actually just distracted by other things. Mm. And then, yeah, I moved to went went to overseas in '98. I spent th- three months in Bali, just uh, hanging out and 
surfing, not not chasing, really chasing waves hard, but just surfing every day around the island of Bali. And then yeah, got to London and worked in London for three years. So there's 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 not a lot of waves in there. So yeah, I fit in that no. VVC mold of other things got in the way. And when did you re like when did you reacquaint with the boogie? So look, I never completely gave it up. I'd surf here and there and sporadically, but there wasn't there was no consistency to it. And I got mm-hmm. back so I got back in oh one, opened, bought my own wine uh cafe what oh four, oh five, so and then I opened fix in oh six. So I reckon it was if I yeah, that has to be, because when I opened up fix, I went, right, I've got to got to do something else. And I started getting back in the water. And, yeah, so in 07, I got back in the water fairly well. And then my first kid was born in 2008, which does tend to slow the uh, surfing down a bit. But, yeah. I've noticed uh, that. Yes. But but pretty much from then on, I was not, I wouldn't say consistent, but at least relatively regular, maybe mm. once every couple of weeks. But then whenever I came across VBC, which was probably four or five years ago now, I I just got my bug back and really just was really enjoying my time in the water. And then I found this community of basically old guys like myself who had lost the lost the froth and then got it back. It's so interesting, hey, like do you how do you feel about it? What how does it make you feel to be a part of that kind of group that's so so keen oh. again and so interested and like because and it's and it's very it seems very specific to a generation, right? Like it's not. It is that generation that frothed out on the underground tapes, the early underground yeah, tapes, and, exactly. And right? you know, like it's it's very specific. Like, how does it feel to be a part of that? And what do you what do you think it means in body? Oh, look, I think nostalgia. I, I th- well, nostalgia's nostalgia's worth big bucks. That the the, mm. the reality is there's but there's no one the, what makes this amazing is there's not really there's no one trying no one's trying to cash in on it which is remarkable uh. all things being equal everyone's just got this there's just a buzz around it and i, I it, it's unique in a facebook group to see such such positivity continually except yeah. occasionally who are but but yeah it's just i don't know we've we, it's it's all is it the fountain of youth not quite we're all feeling the aches and pains of being older but yeah there's it's nothing it's sort of hard it is hard to describe but you just knowing that there's a whole generation of people out there because you talk about the buzz and those heydays but also remember we all went through the bodyboarders as boogie boarders as scum stage as well like that was where it was at its worst in the late 80s early 90s whenever yeah. Sarge wrote that article so we were just yeah. we were the assholes of the earth when it came to being in the water. So to fight like you, you always had that stoke when you saw another boog out on the out of the water because it was just someone you could communicate with because everyone else thought yeah. you were a piece of shit. So interesting, isn't it? It's such yeah. an interesting experience, and it still exists today. I mean, there's so many places where it still exists, and it is changing. It seems, but I mean, there's still a lot of angst and a lot of hatred and. Um, in some quarters, and it's just remarkable yeah. behaviour. Like it's so yeah. Look, it's I, I don't want to. It's it's just weird. It's it, mm. as a as an old straight white guy, it's the closest mm. I can sort of get to sort of that whole feeling of being a, a lesser human. And look, yeah. that's, 
mate, I'm nowhere near where that is for other people. But yeah, look, I can, I can just get that tiny glimpse of wow. If that's how it feels for me, then yeah, there's there's you'd be a lot worse. That's for sure. But I've tried to tell people better. this before. Like the exact same thing you just said. Yeah. It's the closest I can get to experiencing prejudice. But like yeah, that's the word I'm looking as, for. In saying it though, it is like I mean. It just made me think. Oh, imagine if I was black and gay and a bodybuilder. Like, wow, yeah. <laughs> like, wow. you know, like exactly. that must be. That, there's no escaping it. Then, like, at least no. for most people, the ocean is an escape of all of the bullshit. But for yeah, bodyboarders, exactly. sometimes it becomes yeah. an escape from the bullshit into another kind of bullshit. And I do feel like those days are behind us to an extent. Like, it's there's definitely a lot more. Whether you call it respect or just like a, a begrudged acceptance you know like yeah. it's whatever we're here to stay yeah i think i think you're right i don't think i don't think respect we've quite got there as a rule but there's just no. there's a tolerance around it exactly yeah uh, and, exactly. But that, and that's all right and look maruba has got its own reputation but i i i very rarely have any issues out there it's yeah shush yeah, don't say that have a no, no, no. it's just <laughs> it's <into> the reputation <laughs> But like as a as a kind of pretty like I mean you said it was funny you mentioned the re- the interesting thing about the VBC crew is that you know it's it's this remarkable group full of great people generally positive no one's tried to cash in but then referring to cashing in not that I'm accusing Ben Severson of necessarily cashing in but there was that moment of the big board auction and there hasn't really been anything like it since and I no. believe um you might have been one of the people who partook in such an auction or. I guess well, I'd love to understand that from your perspective. That moment, yeah, look, how did that feel? Because it was unprecedented. Oh, absolutely, and it. I, I could only speak for myself, but I've always loved Ben Severson because I suppose as an Aussie, I always like the underdog. Yeah, and the fact of the matter is, throughout that that whole time, my formative years, it was Mike and Ben. Yeah, um, obviously, look, it was like, and talking of VBC, like. You've got guys like Pat Cordwell, who I've met now multiple times in Hawaii. He and JJ came and had lunch at at Fix when they were in Sydney. Like those are the things that VBC really twist my mind. Going, holy shit, I can't believe this is happening. But going back to that yeah. auction, I think Ben was very much that was him. He was somewhat of a rebel. He was sort of he was doing some let's let's be honest, some larrikin things with boards coming into the Moray Pipe competition, so on and so forth. Um, yeah. And that underdog thing, I think that's where, that's why his boards, all most of them came to Australia yeah. and across all of those. And, yes, I own one of them. Yeah. Which one did you get? I got the T10 prototype, which I can't believe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, it blows my mind. Um. Well, I, and, and to be honest, speaking of the VBC, I didn't pay for it. It was bought for me by um, one of the other VBC members because we're in that was in the middle of the fucking COVID shitstorm. Oh, someone gifted that to you. Yes, they did. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I didn't know that bit. Yeah, that's the sort of stuff that happens on VBC. That yeah, just oh, that's know, that's shit. amazing. Yeah. I'm glad you yeah. t- said that. That's really cool because I don't know. There you go. Like that's a really nice thing to do for someone. And this person. Knew how much you loved Ben, like they knew about that interest and that, like that this would mean something to you. Yeah, absolutely. Like we, he and I have been, we met through VBC. Well, I think we've only actually physically met each other once, face to face or oh, twice. Wow. But um, I've 
he's talked me through some dark times. I've talked him through some dark times as well. And he had an opportunity and said, said, right, I'll do this for you. And I went, no, you can't oh, right. do that. I just, and he <laughs> said, no, no, you bad luck. If you bid, you're bidding against yourself, idiot. And yeah, I just wasn't, I, I wasn't in a position to buy it at the time because business and restaurants and that's, COVID. Yeah. That's interesting. That's so cool. Um, do you feel like, you know, back to the present moment, this wine's delicious, by the way. Um, yes. I can is. only drink one glass because so, I've got to drive back to the campsite. But um, are you coming into a good moment soon or not business-wise? Like what's the – there's a lot of people listening to this who are experiencing COVID, like nobody's escaping it now and, and everybody's nah. dealing with it in the way they do. Like what's your take on it all and what's your like prediction of where this all goes next? I mean – how yeah, it well, must that's be tough as a restaurant owner and a bar owner. Like, geez. Yeah, look, it, there's no argument that. Well, our shitstorm started in November when November 2019, when the bushfires started around Sydney, because yeah. that yeah. filled Sydney up with smoke. So it was crazy. Whilst, yeah. whilst we weren't actually obviously bushfire affected in the CBD, we mm. that was that was where it all started. It was it was, a, it was just fucking weird. Because um, I got to January 2020 and the, the smoke cleared and the weather was great and the rain and did all that. And I sat down with my team and gone, right, 2020, because I did my, <laughs> my greatest business decision ever. I signed a new lease for five years in September 2019. <laughs> sure, of course you did. Jeez. <laughs> um, right. I went, right, fuck it. Right, we've got to go hard in 2020, get this, get this thing rolling, la, 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 la. Uh, we all know in March that all went to shit. But that sort of, I don't know, from my point of view, that set us up pretty well because I was already in a fight or flight mode. Um, yeah. So that got us rolling. But that got me through 2020. And then 21 actually started pretty well. Like everything in New South Wales was yeah. moving pretty well. You were, you, were, you were in Foster at that point, so you know what it was like here then. And then yeah. the great lockdown was just, it was, I don't know, it's hard to, I can I struggle to sort of explain it now because I came out the other side and we've got to the end of the year and I did I waste that fifteen months fifteen weeks should I surf more don't I don't know um, mm. but we've all everyone's got to the end of the year and, and this is speaking for myself but I suspect not every not just myself and I'm sort of done I don't know yeah. now we're going back around again. How much, how much fight I've got left in me because it's, mm. it's just, it's hard work. Um, it's hard. It's always, it's, there's a certain zen when you go, well, I've got no control over tomorrow anyway, so I'll just worry about today. But that's not actually how owning a business works. You've got to, mm. you've got to look at future funds and how you're going to pay that rent there and this bill here and so on and so forth. So I think I'm still a glass half full sort of person um, and I think with one thing about COVID has been is it's not a recession in the normal way in that everything is down. COVID has been a game in business of winners and losers. Mm. There's people that are still earning big money as as a, like I deal in the CBD so my regulars are on a wicket that is very different to mine, another cricket mm. analogy there. So they're earning a lot of money for those that don't know what a wicket is. <laughs> uh, and and a lot of them are still continuing to earn a lot of money, but they've spent two yeah. years locked in their house with that money burning a hole in their pocket. They can't go overseas on holidays. They can't do this. They can't do that. 
So I think the bounce back on that will be good. We saw it a bit at Christmas until Omicron started to come through again, so we lost the last week of trade. Um, and now we've got this, but hopefully this one will fade out quickly and February everyone gets back into the into the city and they go mad. Yeah. That's what I'm planning I'm, on anyway. My fingers are crossed for that. I mean, that's yeah. my plan too. I'm driving back from WA over the next month and um, kind of trying to time it for when I think everything should be on the simmer. But, yeah, um, but yeah let's see how that goes. Let's finish off on some boogie stuff. We've gotten to the sweet yeah. spot of the podcast length. But, like, you know, you've been watching all this. Um, you know, you've been, you've been a fan. You've participated. You've competed. Um, you've got opinions. What do you think is the kind of a, a future for bodyboarding? Like, what do you want to see as someone who enjoys the culture, who enjoys the, the, um, yeah. the kind of practice, but also the viewing? Like, what do you want? What do you want to see happen? Um, I, I want to be able to live stream the late 80s, early 90s pipe competition. <laughs> I, I just... <laughs> Mate, look, it's just it's just That's that. a great idea. That is a that, great idea. I've I have written for Dan about this before anyway, but the idea yeah. of a single standalone competition to me is just a no brainer. I yeah. I the world tour, it's lovely, that's all great, but like soccer doesn't do a world tour. They do a World Cup every four years with qualifying to get into it. Make it a I big know. make mate, I I couldn't think of anything better. Then saying we're doing a, and it doesn't have to be pipe. Certainly, pipe's actually a pain in the ass because the 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 regulations and the as the the pokey tips as the hubs say, and all yeah. of, everyone's in the way. But you look at somewhere like Arica or Fronton, it's a bit further away. But fuck, I'd love to go to Chile anyway because it's got great wine. So, um, yeah. and actually the Canaries have got awesome wine as well for a different reason. So I go to either one, but. I just see yeah. this whole idea of yeah, just a, a hell of a party around yeah. a, a world title, and the world once the borders reopen, it's bloody small these days. It's not like it was twenty, thirty years ago. So that that to me is that that would be awesome. But frankly, yeah. look at the end of the day, everyone's got to find their own way through it. As long as people are out there on the lead and just having fun, that's the important thing. 